0: Hey everyone, it's Ashley Grigsby. I just wanted to give a little upfront introduction to this next part. We're going to talk dermatology with Dr. Emily Wagner and Dr. Aaron Phipps, who was nice enough to join us again after her. uh, everyone loved her adolescent talk. So uh, we are going to split this into two parts. So this first part, and then uh, I will introduce you to a second part. But make sure you listen to both because both parts have some great information, but it was a little long, so we decided to split it up. Enjoy
1: one check one this is emily and aaron coming to you with wine and port wine <laughs> from the back patio from the back patio of yeah. phipps's beautiful house mm-hmm. hanging out
0: with the doggies right exactly so if you hear screaming it's the dogs <laughs> all right
1: Go all ahead. right mm-hmm. hello to all my rash experts and non-experts this is dr emily wagner coming to you today with some derm pearls courtesy of dr aaron phipps You might remember Dr. Phipps previously from her discussion on adolescent psychology. If you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to that one for review. Welcome back, Dr. Phipps. Why, thank you, Dr. Wagner. Thank you for including me on this episode of Pete's
0: in a Pod, as we'll aptly name wine and port wine. You're very welcome. Thank Mm -hmm. you for
1: enjoying some wine on the back patio with me when we talk about skin disorders. Skin is very important, you know. And I think the first thing to know about skin is not to be scared of the skin.
0: Right, okay. and also know how to properly describe the skin, because if you describe a rash as like red, and on the body, which has happened, it's like telling the cardiologist that the murmur goes beep beep. That's true. Yeah, it's not cool.
1: And uh, after four years now in residency, it's nice to go back to the basics and just learn some terms on how to describe. The skin to the dermatologist when I'm calling them so they don't think I'm a total idiot. Yeah, and P.S., just so y'all know, I am not a dermatologist. She's not a dermatologist. Not a dermatologist. But she is a very, very, very good primary care doctor who I schools me on rashes at every continuity clinic. I do love the rash. I would also
0: point out one other thing is if you are going to send pictures of rashes to your friends or colleagues, make sure they're not in Target in the checkout aisle, when you send them a picture of her baby's butt
1: mm. or yes. testicles, because
0: then they look Excellent like advice. they got issues. So, which has happened to me more than once.
1: Okay. I don't want to see your baby's butt without warning. That's true, and even if you're not a dermatologist, your friends and family will always ask you about rashes. So, this will be a very high yield segment. <laughs> we hope so. At least it will be for us. Yep. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Okay. All right. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some basic terms on how to describe the rashes we might talk, talk about? Yeah. So I think the first thing
0: you want to think about, obviously, when you're examining a baby or a child, especially a baby, if you're going to examine the skin, you need to examine all of the skin, right? So if you see a rash on the face, you are going to have to strip that baby or child down so that you can see all parts of their body. Because part of your rash discussion or description is distribution, right? Right. And then you want to describe your lesions. And you have your primary lesions, like your papules, and your macules, (laughs) and your pustules, all right, and your vesicles. And then you have your secondary lesions, like your crusts, you know, and your lichenification, your scars, your ulcers, right? So just go back and any basic derm book is going to tell you these. But if you have any interest in dermatology, the pediatric book is the Hurwitz. And the adult book is the Andrews. So Andrews for adults, Hurwitz for Pete's. Those are your kind of references, right? But I'm pretty sure Dr. Google can also tell you how to describe a rash. So you start off with describing, right, your distribution. Then you want to talk about your color. You want to talk about your lesions. And then you also want to think about things like configuration, right? What shapes are they? What what patterns are they in? Um, Are they linear? Are they along the famous Blaschko lines? I don't know who Blaschko was, but whatever. And um, what do their borders look like, right? Because sometimes the center looks different from the outside. So description is good. You know, it's like setting up a dating profile. You want to be very descriptive and you want to be very accurate. Otherwise, you're going to wind up with some very unexpected situation. (laughs) Which is never a good thing when we're talking about the skin. No, and that's never happened to me, by the way, because (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Never been on a bad date. It's not true. Been on lots of bad dates. Sorry. Okay, we digress.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we will have our friends, uh, Dr. Rayburn and Dr. Grigsby, put up some of these resources uh, on a supplemental page so that if you're getting a little bit lost and you're a visual learner, we'll have some references for you to look look at as well. Love
0: it. Yes. So basically, remember to describe not only the appearance of your lesion including color and shape, but the distribution of your lesions on the body and you know different sort of exciting things about them, right? Dermatology has some of the best words, you know, like xerosis. That just means dry, right? Your skin is xerotic. So I'm pretty smart if you can that's, remember that. That's yeah. what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> Reticular. Okay. All these kinds of things to make you sound smart and cool, right? But you can also, again, look it up before you call. Very true. Okay, so that's my first thing is just basically know how to describe, describe your lesions because the more accurate you are in your description and now the beauty of taking pictures the more likely you are to get a correct diagnosis, especially if you're calling for help to either your ID or your room or your dermatology friends because those are kind of your big three you always seem to call when you need help with rashes.
1: And if you're going to be sending pictures, just a friendly reminder to do it in a HIPAA-compliant way. Most hospitals now have some sort of link with their EMR or a separate app that can be used to share pictures of patients in a HIPAA-compliant way. So, for extra motivation today, we always like to talk about what percent of the boards focuses on the topic of the day. For Derm, it is 3.5% of the boards, so this is a fairly significant portion of your examination, so... Pay attention, and we'll try to review as we go along.
0: (laughs) What would you like to talk about first, Dr. Wagner?
1: So let's see. The first thing that the board's really likes to focus on is skin disorders that we see in newborns. So anyway, it's a conglomeration of some normal newborn skin disorders and some ones that you kind of don't want to miss, essentially. So the very first one, the theme of our talk tonight, cheers, the port wine stain. What can you tell us about that, Dr. Fitz? Well, I
0: can tell you that the port wine stain is also called a capillary malformation. And quite a lot of babies are born with capillary malformations. I think it's almost like a half of 1%, right? So it's a, it's a significant amount of newborns. And they're usually sporadic, right? You don't, like, oftentimes have genetic reasons for them, but you can, Okay and the important thing to remember about them too is they, they grow with the child and they're going to persist throughout the patient's life. Okay. And probably the big thing for things like boards is some capillary malformations or port wine stains are associated with syndrome and probably the biggest one is the Sturge Weber, right? Sturge Weber, Sturge Weber. Mhm. And the big thing to remember with Sturge Weber, right, is the distribution. So you are not going to have a capillary malformation that's associated with Sturge-Weber unless unless it involves
1: V1. Okay. Okay. All right. So trigeminal V1. All
0: right. Okay. It can be more extensive, right? But it has to involve V1 to be at risk for Sturge-Weber. Interesting. And Sturge-Weber goes along with a couple of other things, right? We look out for ocular abnormalities, ipsilateral ocular abnormalities anything in
1: particular with the eye that we're looking for uh
0: like glaucoma probably glaucoma is the big one right so glaucoma so these are kids you obviously refer to ophthalmology and then you also see uh brain abnormalities not always but very often right um and you know not everyone who has a not everyone who has a v1 port wine is going to have sturge weber but if you have sturge weber your port wine is going to be v1 Does that make sense? Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, so so is this is this a rash that we're gonna see if we're in the normal normal newborn nursery or maybe Mm -hmm. on their first presentation to us at the day four visit after their discharge? This isn't something that's probably gonna pop up when they're at their two year old well child exactly. This is something that is congenital. You know, people like you may see it start to
0: fade, right? But it doesn't mean it's gonna go away. And actually, the older the kids get. The thicker, the more, um, I think the word I'd use is like nodular and yeah, thickened it's gonna get. But you know, as kids go from their sort of fetal hemoglobin to their adult hemoglobin, right, their hemoglobin drops and so it gets lighter so people think, oh, it's going away, huzzah, it ain't going away. That shit's there forever. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. They've heard it before. Okay. That's that's (laughs) just there forever, people. Okay. But you can treat it, right? And, I mean, all of these kiddos who have extensive port wines are going to be seen by a dermatologist. Sure. So, really, I think your role is recognizing what it is and understanding the syndromes that can be associated with them. Because capillary malformations are super common. Okay. But remember that Sturge Weber is what you see with a V1 distribution of a port wine stain with... Ipsilateral eye abnormalities and some t- and brain abnormalities and the specific term they use is like leptomeningovascular malformations. I did not know that off the top of my head, I totally looked that up. <laughs> and, <laughs> and developmental venous anomalies, all kinds of different stuff, right? Okay. So brain, eye, and skin. Brain, okay. eye and skin. And V1! Which just not cool. Which <laughs> <laughs> is <just> pretty cool. <laughs>
1: So, okay, so obviously a port wine stain then after that review is something that if the parents bring to us and we recognize on on exam, we need to be worried about it and do some further work up. There is quite a few neonatal um, rashes, though, that you don't... Right, seizures and headaches, too. That's another thing. Seizures and headaches. Okay, so extra be worried about it and work it up a little bit more. Right, exactly. I love that. That's gorgeous. But there's lots of... Rashes that parents come in for that I don't really care about, but they still want me to tell them what it is. Exactly.
0: They go, ah, hands waving in the air. And, you know, poor parents of newborns, they're totally sleep-deprived, right? They Mm -hmm. probably don't know where they are, what their names are. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, they mismatch their shoes. So you want to be able to reassure them when you can and... Oftentimes, I think the best way to reassure is to be able to not only know your rashes, but show them pictures, too. Yes, and right? I
1: will I will say that working with Dr. Phipps, she is famous for bringing in her dermatology book. She, I, I feel like, has memorized the page of where <laughs> each rash is, and it's re- really helpful to the parents. So this is one I've seen her do quite a few times, actually, erythema toxicum. So it, this rash looks really scary, but it's right. not it's, scary, it's, right? It's the most
0: horribly named rash in the rash universe. Okay. Right? So... It should be called, there's nothing wrong with your baby, mm-hmm. calm down.
1: Yeah, like why is it called
0: toxicum? That's not really fair. Yeah, I don't, I honestly don't know why it's called toxicum, but I think we should find them and we should probably hurt them. Because many a family has presented to an ER, I'm sure, or has come to a first visit freaking out because of erythema toxicum. So it really is benign, right? I mean, it can be anywhere from like 50 to 70% of newborns
1: have this. Um, and can you explain what it looks like for those who can't see a picture? Yes. Okay. So it looks like
0: little tiny papules on a red base. Okay. And they're yellowish. They're like one to three millimeters. So they're super tiny, and they have like a little flare around them, a little macular flare. Right.
1: And where on the body do you? That's on the newborn flea
0: bite, like flea bite, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a terrible name as well. So let's not talk about. We shouldn't call it flea bites for babies. Fleabite
1: dermatitis is the same as erythema toxicum? Yes. Those are both horrible names. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody's got it. yeah.
0: Someone has to pay. (laughs) Someone has to pay. And
1: this rash kind of, it looks a little scary if you don't know what it is, right? It looks like it's inflamed. Mm -hmm. It looks like it might hurt. And it it doesn't. And it usually
0: pops up in the first couple of days of life. It is not present at birth, okay? You usually see it within about 24 to 48 hours. It lasts around a week. Okay, and it's everywhere on the body, but it doesn't land on the palms and soles.
1: Okay, so, so it follows the rules of a rash that is not frightening, that is not on the palms or soles. Correct. Okay. okay. And, um, you know,
0: they talk about, like, you can see eosinophils on your right stain. Okay. Don't right stain these.
1: Don't yeah. do that. Don't do that. But these I guess know alarm. it for the boards if, right. you know, Yeah. they ask. Right stain will show eosinophils mm-hmm. in erythema toxicum. Exactly. And
0: erythema toxicum is not toxic. It's terribly named. We should call it. There's nothing wrong with your baby. Carry on.
1: So do we need to do anything for treatment? No. Leave it alone. Okay. Don't touch it. All right. Don't mess with it. Well, okay. Along that theme then, Mm -hmm. tell us about transient neonatal pustular melanosis. Because we also don't have to worry about that, right? No
0: don't have to worry about that at all
1: but it also looks kind of terrible right and it's usually present at birth right and pustules don't i have to worry about pustules you should worry about pustules but not in this
0: situation interestingly sometimes like when they wipe off the vernix right they Mm -hmm. pop the pustules so you may not even see the uh, sorry newborns are gross (laughs) the vernix (laughs) yeah gross okay pause (laughs) Uh, um Um, three phases to your transient neonatal pustular melanosis, right? You start with your very tiny little pustules, and they're pretty small. They can be, like, almost up to a centimeter, but they're still usually, like, two millimeters or so. So they're super tiny. And then you get this second phase, which everybody likes to talk about. You hear the collarette of
1: scale. Col- oh, the of okay. scale.
0: Okay. There's a collarette of scale around your neonatal pustular melanosis followed by a hyperpigmentation okay. that is residual and can actually persist for quite some time, right? So, and these these are everywhere. Um, you often see them on the face, on the neck, um, and you can see the palms and soles. All right. These can be on the palms and they soles. They can be on okay. the
1: palms and but the soles. But I
0: still don't care about it. Okay, you, sh- you should not care about it. Okay,
1: and they're present Mm-hmm. At birth.
0: They can't, absolutely, yes, they are. Okay. You can see um, neutrophils, maybe a few EOs, but generally neutrophils, right? But again, leave it alone. Leave it alone.
1: We reviewed that transient neonatal pustular melanosis. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's nothing to worry about. Nope. It can be present on the palms and soles. It's there at birth. Correct. And it is not the same as staph-filled pustules. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently the boards might want to know that if you gram stain one of those pustules, it will be without organisms. It'll be I, I, organismless. Organismless. Yes. You will just see So pollies. it will be a mm-hmm. neutrophil-filled pustule. Unlike go. if you gram stained a staph pustule, which mm-hmm. obviously would have some gram-positive cocci. Genius girl. Okay. But Save are we really gonna gram stain these? No, <laughs> we don't I
0: care.
1: Look at a picture yeah. so you can identify these and right.
0: and, and also remember some these parents. babies are not sick, right? So any time a neonate is sick, any thought of a benign lesion goes off the table because okay, maybe their erythema toxicum is benign, but they're sick, therefore we worry about everything else, right? And you should have a heightened sense of urgency and concern when it comes to neonates because there are a couple of really scary, really rashes. scary rashes, sure. right? I think the biggest one to think about is obviously herpes. Yeah, herpes in the neonate is terrifying and and the, the mere suspicion of it I think should have you pausing, culturing, talking, making sure you're doing right by that baby. So, most rashes in neonates are very benign and it's good to know which ones are benign so that you can exclude them from your areas of concern sure right right but just be careful with the babies man
1: so one more that we're Mm -hmm. talking about which is perfectly falling into that example is uh the congenital dermal melanocytosis because that often gets confused for abuse and if you don't know what you're looking for then you can open up a whole can of worms that you never meant to put a family in so let's spend maybe a few moments talking about that one
0: So I think one of the important things to do is note that these are present at birth, right? And that they are very distinctive. And it's important if you're in the nursery or if you're seeing a baby in the first few days of life or if you're seeing a child at all that you document Mm -hmm. that these are present uh, because at some point, you know, oftentimes someone will come back and say that somebody has beat this baby's butt or arms or legs or back, and that's the other thing to remember, that these are usually on the bottom, but they can be in a lot of other places, right? They can be on the arms, they can be on the legs, um, and they have a very distinctive color to them, which is one of the important things to remember about them, is that they're like a bluish or a grayish or a blackened color, and they're really just collection of skin pigment cells, right? Melano- melanocytes.
1: Melanocytes. So should we say what people might know it as, that we don't really support calling it anymore. Mongolian spots is right. what it used to be called, but mm-hmm. we like to abbreviate, abbreviate it as CDM, or you can say the whole thing. So congenital dermal melanocytosis. It's a mouthful, but... It's also a way to make yourself look cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, impress your local
0: butcher or bartender.
1: And yeah. parents usually know if these have been present since birth, mm-hmm. so you can gather some additional history by asking those questions. Right. And I think also
0: the breakdown in terms of ethnicity is very different. So these primarily uh, occur on African-American babies, but significant percent of Asian and Latino babies have them too, right? It's close to 100% of African-American babies, but still like 60 80% of Latino and Asian babies. And even maybe 10% of Caucasian neonates are going to have these. So don't assume just because the baby... Is not African American, that these are not Mongolian spots, congenital dermal melanocytosis. There was one other term we used to call
1: these, and it's like totally gone from my brain. I have learned it as CDM for my whole yeah. residency.
0: Blue gray spots of childhood. Hmm. Boom. We used to call no, them. So we went from. That's nice, politically yeah. correct. We went from the politically incorrect Mongolian spots to blue gray spots of childhood to the slightly more professional and fancy sounding congenital dermal melanocytosis, right? Um, And these will fade with time, you know, um, usually over several years. So a three-year-old can have them, right? A four-year-old, a five-year-old. But I think also, you know, bruising is going to undergo color changes, right? So there's no color change associated with it. It's always going to be slate gray, blue, or black. So... And there's no associated symptoms, right? It's not going to be tender. It's not going to be swollen. It's not going to be any of those things. But understand that while, yes, the most common location is the boot, it can also be on other parts of the body. So don't, don't think just because it's on your ankle that it's not a CDM. Okay. Great.
1: Awesome. Well, so let's go back and list the things we've talked about already just to review. Okay. So things that we... Commonly and uncommonly see in the newborn that we talked about already, port wine stain, also known as capillary malformations. Associated with Sturge-Weber syndrome if in the V1 mm-hmm. distribution of the trigeminal nerve.
0: And the triad of Sturge-Weber is port wine stain, ipsilateral eye abnormalities, brain anomalies. Right. And just because you have a port wine stain in your V1 doesn't mean you have to have Sturge-Weber. But if you have Serge Weber, your port wine stain has to be in V1. Got it. Okay. I'm not going to say that again. It's too exhausting.
1: Okay. You can rewind it and go back if you need to. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, erythema toxicum. So mm-hmm. not on the palms or soles, and we don't really care about it. Right. We should remember what it looks like so that we can reassure parents. It's tiny papules on an erythematous inflamed base. hmm mm-hmm. And it happens in the first few days of life. It is not present at birth, can last up
0: to a week, sometimes longer, and has dumb names like erythema toxicum and flea bite dermatitis. But we call it, there's nothing wrong with your baby. <laughs> and then transient neonatal pustular melanosis is present at birth, has three phases, right? You start with your little vesica pustule, and then you move to your collarette of scale, and, which could be a band name, by the way. Cholera, yeah, that'd be a pretty good yeah. band name. Followed by your uh, residual hypo, hyperpigmentation, inflammatory, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. Right? Okay. Okay. Got it. And then the congenital dermal melanocytosis, which we don't want to uh, confuse with bruising or child abuse. And mostly on the sacrum and buttocks, but can be anywhere on the body for the most part. And there's, like, specific... Areas of dermal, you know, melanosis, but I don't think we need to worry about those. Mm. E toes and O toes and all those toes, um, it's too much. It's too much. And
1: hopefully not tested on the boards. Right, that would suck. Cross our fingers. I would feel bad for you guys.
0: <laughs> okay, everyone, we're going to stop there. Go listen to part two after you take a little break.